Well, we're in a new series uh, starting last week that I'm calling EGR, Extra Grace Required, because there are those people that we come across in life that need more than normal people do. And uh, uh, today we're going to be talking about how to handle overly needy people. Last week we talked about critical people. And uh, today we're going to be talking about overly needy people for those who seem to be habitually in need. As we start today, uh, let's just make this crystal clear that we as Christians are called by God uh, to help people who are in need. Jesus made that clear in so many different ways. We should have a heart for those who are outcast. We should have a heart for those who are in need. And beyond a shadow of doubt, we should see every resource that we have available to us as God's resources. And as God calls us and empowers us, we should be incredibly generous to those who are in need. But today, as we talk about people in need, we're not going to be talking about that group of needy people. Instead, I want to talk to you about those that I would call overly needy. Uh, those uh, that you try to help and yet they don't seem to help themselves. And they seem to find themselves, maybe because of bad decisions, consistently in need. I've heard people like this referred to as emotional vampires and emotional black holes. And uh, I find that both of these uh, descriptors pretty accurately uh, describe these kinds of people that just seem to suck the emotional life out of you in different ways. And as you remember last week, I told you I'm doing this series now to prepare you for family gatherings that are going to be happening this next uh, uh, couple of months as uh, people gather around uh, family meal tables. And you're going to run across, let's face it, we all have these EGRs in our own family. We have the critical people. We have the uh, needy people. We have the hypocritical people. We have all these different sorts of people that you're going to have to see at least once this year as you get together. You're going to be sitting across from them at a table somewhere. And as I mentioned to you at a uh, workshop that I attended led by Dr. Dale Galloway at Asbury Seminary, uh, or he was an Asbury Seminary uh, professor, uh, he calls these people extra grace require. Uh, sometimes there'll be people in a small group. It could be a prayer and share group or a Bible study or a Christian recovery group or a study group. And these people just seem to dominate the meeting. Maybe some of you know people like that. Maybe you have them in your Bible studies, uh, just overly needy. Now, I've broken them down today into five categories, but there are others um, and these can and do definitely overlap. Maybe you know somebody 
that falls in one of these different categories. One group I would call the incurably insecure. They're the ones that you saw five minutes ago and then they run up to you and they're wondering if everything is still okay between you. Is everything okay? I didn't offend you, did I? You know, they're just overly uh, <coughs> insecure. Another group I would call the drama queens and the drama kings. Let's face it, there are drama kings as well as drama queens. Everything, no matter how small, is easily blown out of proportion. And uh, they make a big deal out of little insignificant things to other people. Oh, I just had the worst day ever, you know. I mean, everything is just, okay. So there's another group that I would call the blabbers. I think there may be more of them than a lot of the others, but maybe it's just around me. But uh, the blabbers, they just never shut up. They just talk all the time. They just can't help it. Uh <clears throat> Another group that's kind of like the blabbers, uh, and it's, well, it's a kind of a combination of the drama queen or king and the blabber, and these are the spotlight hogs. I'm sure you've run across them. Uh, some would call them attention hounds. They just have to be the center of attention. And you're probably going to have one or two of those in your family gatherings. The conversation will be going on and this person will be talking and then somebody else will find a break and get in and they'll start talking and you'll see the other person's face kind of grow dark as they're thinking about how do I jump back in and get the spotlight again? You know these people. Okay, they'll dominate the conversation, make good use of an injury or whatever. I mean, they may bite their tongue in the meal just to get back in the middle of things again. So uh, anyway, the spotlight has to be on them. They have to get the attention focused on themselves. And then there's finally another group of people. And there are, those are the financial leeches. Financial leeches. These aren't people who are just in need. They're people who are habitually in need. And it's generally because of their poor decision-making that they stay in need. As Christians, we want to have a heart filled with compassion, filled with compassion for those who are in need. And we want to uh, help and fulfill God's call to help people who are in need. But as we talk about overly needy people today, I want us to first acknowledge that there's a tension that we all face as we uh, go through life. In my own life as a pastor and as a, a Christian, here's how it's played out. I want to help someone who is in need. And so I try to help, but I don't want to train them to become dependent on me. And so I want to do the right amount of assistance, but I don't want to do too much. So when I start to help, I may try and say, uh, here you go. This is what I can do. And uh, But what I do in their mind is probably not enough. And I find that overly needy people can be very often very ungrateful. And so... 
I'm doing what I consider to be a lot and the right thing, but they consider it to be not enough. And uh, so I start to feel depleted and uh, uh, it's not working for me. And so I think, uh, well, maybe I should pull back. But as soon as I pull back, they wig out and then I feel guilty and I think maybe I'm not doing what Christ would have me to do. Any of y'all relate to this at all? Okay, few heads nodding. Not as many as I thought would be, but anyway, well, okay. You see, you do, the, you, 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 you have this tension. You want to do what you're supposed to do, but you're afraid you may do too much or not enough. And so there's a balance in all of this. And so that's just it. We have to balance the tension. Jesus cared for those who were in need more than anyone else who has ever lived. And even though Jesus cared more than anyone else, there was a tension that we see even in his life. Jesus did not heal everyone or grant every request. That's the tension. Jesus cared more than anyone who's ever lived or will ever live. He did not heal everyone. You can read it in Scripture. At the pool of Bethesda, he walks through a crowd of people and he heals one. Everybody in that crowd was lame or hurting in some way. And yet he walked up to one and healed the one. That's the tension. As we read on in uh, the ninth chapter of Matthew, one of the things that we see is that Jesus recognized his own limitations. Even though he had the ability, there wasn't enough of him to go around while he lived here among us as a human being. There was only so much of him. If there wasn't enough of him, how can you expect there to be enough of you? Okay. So uh, I think that... Uh, we need to take a clue from that great philosopher, Dirty Harry. Whenever he was asked what, uh, why he carried a 44 Magnum, he said, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> and that's just it. Every man and woman in here needs to know their limitations. You can only do so much. You can't do any more. So, what is our goal? As Christians, first of all, we want to help without enabling. When people are overly needy, we can, uh, even without meaning to, train them to become overly dependent on us, and we don't want to do that. Uh, the first, uh, is, I want to go through several things about this now. First one is, number one, we want to learn with the help of God. Offer what they need, not what they want. In this passage that we read today, the uh, uh, lame man at the uh, temple, he thought he knew what he needed. And he wanted money. And he asked for money. And even though Peter didn't have money to give to this lame man, he gave him what he needed. 
He gave him healing. He gave him a life. He gave him more than he even thought that he needed. And uh, he was born lame and he learned to get by in life by begging. And then one day Peter comes along and didn't give him what he asked for. He gave him what he needed. We need to remember that. When a person is overly needy, they will often want something and believe with everything in them. This is the best thing for them. But the truth of the matter is God may give you wisdom or insight to say they may need this or they may want this. But what they really need is something different. As I was preparing this morning, I remembered an incident in my own life when I was a pastor of a of a church many, many years ago. And uh, one of the church members, a dear friend of mine, is this is back in the time when inflation was just going crazy and property values were going up like crazy. Interest rates were going up like crazy. And this guy saw this as a great opportunity. And even though he had quite a bit of money, and when he did have quite a bit of money, and he began buying up every property in this town. Every property came on the market, he bought it. And because it's going to go up in value and he's going to make a killing, you know. Uh, but the interest rates kept going up. And finally, he wound up, he had every hot potato in town as far as property goes. And nobody loaned him any money. He couldn't buy any more. He still needed to make the payments on the what he had. And he came in to me one day. My, I've got to say, my mom had come into some money. And, uh, because of the way that interest rates were going and all, she had accrued enough to take our whole family. I'm talking about not just my family, but my sister's family as well on a Caribbean cruise. And so uh, even though we were so P-O-R-E poor that we had to go to Goodwill to buy luggage to go on this trip. Uh, and we that's the truth. We did. Uh, we had that's how, how hard it was for us to get by uh, but we wound up going this Caribbean cruise he saw this he saw my mom had some money and so he came up to me and he said you know I hate to ask you this but do you think your mom could loan me $10,000 now whenever the first somebody asks you for help especially a big thing like that first thing you need to do is pray and the Lord helped me to respond to him. I mean, he was my friend. I didn't want to lose him as a friend. I didn't have any $10,000. And I wasn't going to carry uh, a problem to my mom. So I prayed, and, and Lord, what to do? And he just had me ask one question. So and so, this $10,000, is this going to solve the problem? Or is this just going to stave it off for a little bit? And he stopped and he thought. And he had been scrambling and scrambling. He just had a bank payment due. And whenever he made that bank payment, he's going to be scrambling for the next month. And he said, this isn't going to help hardly at all. He hadn't thought about it. He just gotten so caught up in what he was doing. And I said, well, then so-and-so, you have reached the point that I call a time when you can have a Red Sea experience. You have done everything that you can do. 
And now all you can do is look to God. And whenever you get to those points where there's nothing left in you, that's when you see God work. And I said, have you prayed about this? He said, well, you know, I'm, I didn't have a, and he was a proud man. I didn't, I, I got this place all by myself. And I, I made money by myself and, uh, and I've lost it all by myself. And I don't want to bother God with stuff like that. And I said, well, he doesn't mind you bothering him at all. That's no bother to him. But he just, he just didn't want to pray. He said, well, do you mind if I pray for you? And this is something to keep in mind. Even when other people don't have faith, sometimes you need to have faith for them. And so I just laid hands on my brother and I prayed for him that the Lord would miraculously take care of this need. And then he went away. I saw him the next week and I didn't know what was ha- had happened. I said, well, how are things going? He said, man, you wouldn't believe someone he had approached uh, earlier that had turned him down looked him up and said, hey, I've got this all worked out. It became his silent partner and bailed him out uh, for the long haul, not just for the short haul. And you see, he got to have a Red Sea experience. You can help people have those Red Sea experiences whenever you get beyond your own means. means as far as you, what I'm trying to say is you don't just have what's at your disposal. We serve a God who has the cattle on a thousand hills. And he has help for those who need help. But uh, it's only whenever we turn to him that we can find it. So uh, a couple of practical points. Uh, so that uh, it was a, uh, how do we offer what they need and not what they want? First, identify the real need. This is what... My, what the Lord helped me do with my friend. He helped me help him identify the real need. And uh, then we'll ask God to reveal that to us. So for example, they may say, I want, to spend, I want you to spend more time with me. And the real need may be that they need to make more friends. Uh, they may say, I want you to help me uh, with my $400 car payment. And the real need may be that they need a budget or even better a thousand dollar car paid for in cash rather than a twenty five thousand dollar car with a four hundred dollar payment they may want one thing but really need something else they may say i want you to make me feel special you're the only one who can make me feel special and what they really need they need to feel special with who they are in Christ. They need to know how much they count in his eyes, how their creator thinks that they are really something special. So they, we may need to help them to find that and to discover who they really are in Christ. And that's a biggie. We're going to learn to offer what they need, not just what they want. Second thought is this. You need to pay attention to actions and not words, not just words. When we're trying to help somebody who is overly needy, their actions and their words may not line up at all. For instance, they may say, uh, 
I can't get a good job. But their actions may say, I'm not looking for a job. They may say, nobody will go out with me. I just can't get a date. When their actions say, I haven't taken a bath, used deodorant, or brushed my teeth in a month. Okay? So, when we're trying to help, we want to pay attention to actions and not just to words. Number two in dealing with overly needy people, set healthy boundaries. Let's look at Jesus' example beginning in Mark, the first chapter, the 35th chapter. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus knew that he had to be alone in order to be healthy. Remember, you have to set healthy boundaries. You see, he had been ministering to crowds for a couple of days, just one after another, one after another. And so he had to just pull away, get alone with his heavenly father and recharge. And so what happens? Peter and the disciples come look at him. Master, what are you doing over here? They got These people got needs. You need to get over here and started trying to get him to take care of them. You know what he told them? He said, uh, we need to go over the other side. There are other people need my help too. Instead of going back to those that were clamoring here, he was on another mission than what they thought that he was on. But you see, he set his boundaries based on what his heavenly father wanted his boundaries to be. When you're preparing to take off in an airplane, and they give you an oxygen mask, or they demonstrate how to use it, they always tell you, have you ever noticed this? They tell you, put yours on first. They emphasize that. You put yours on first. And why would you think they would do that? I mean, you got a little kid here, you want to take care of your child. But if you pass out from lack of oxygen, you can't help that little child. You need to take care of yourself so you can take care of others. That's what's going on there. If you're not healthy, you can't help other people. There are a couple of different categories of different boundaries that you're going to want to set. First one is uh, you want to set specific time boundaries. When dealing with overly needy people, you need to set a time boundary up front. You also need to set resource boundaries. You're not made out of money. None of you I know. I mean, you may have more than I think you do. But uh, anyway, but none of us are made out of money. None of us are. Uh, you have limited resources. You tell people up front what they can expect. And that way, you warn them not to become dependent on you in the long haul. You said healthy resource boundaries. For example, you may say, you can stay there for about a month, but after that, you're going to be out on your own. In fact, I've said that wrong. I should say about a month. Set specific boundaries. Four weeks and, uh, and have a cutoff time. If you don't do that, five years from now, they may still be there. You know, it's just, it just works like that. Or you may say, absolutely, I'd love to help you out and I can do about $100 a month for the next three months, and then after that, I won't be able to help anymore. 
The reason you set healthy boundaries is not because you don't care about other people. The truth is you do care. And that's why you set healthy boundaries so you can genuinely help other people. As difficult as it may be, number three, we must give them enough to allow them, we must love them enough to allow them to face the consequences. Look at Scripture, Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The Bible shows us that our actions have consequences. You'll reap what you sow. And if you sow according to the sinful nature, you're going to reap a harvest. And uh, one of the most loving things that you can do is not interrupt God's natural consequences to wrong decisions. And this is difficult, especially when we love someone very much. (coughs) Now this ties in. Rescuing is not always helping. Rescuing someone from their consequences is not always helping. Sometimes it is. Moms, dads, sometimes one of the most loving things that you can do is step back and say, I don't want to see you hurt, but if you make these choices, then you're going to have to go down that road on your own. Rescuing isn't always helping. Now, as soon as you don't rescue someone who is overly needy and you've rescued them in the past, the first thing that they're going to do is say, you don't want me anymore. And this isn't fair. If you love me, you'd help me. And what you're going to have to do is make a very, very bold decision to say, you know what? I do love you. And because I love you, I'm choosing not to help you in this way this time. They call that tough love. And it is tough. It's not tough on the other one nearly as much as it is on you. Let's face it. It's tough love. It's real love. And sometimes it's the best kind of love. At some point, you're going to have to say, you know what? I'm praying for you. I love you. Make your own decisions. And if uh, you're over a certain age and uh, they're able to make their own decisions, you uh, may just have to sit back and say, you're going to have to learn this one the hard way. You see, rescuing isn't always helping. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. There's this tension. There's always a tension. You have to be sensitive to the voice of the Spirit of God. And so here you are. You want to help. There's somebody that you love that's hurting right now. It could be your parents. You know, it's crazy, but uh, sometimes you become the parent to your parents. Uh, It flips sometimes. It could be your children. It could be your brothers or sisters. It could be a friend. You want to help, but you don't know what to do. If you don't remember anything else... Please remember this. 
Jesus is the Savior, not you. Jesus is the Savior, not you. And sometimes you can get in the Holy Spirit's way. Jesus is the Savior. Many times you'll get to the point where what you need to do is pray and just get out of the way. You do what God called you to do, and when God doesn't call you to do anymore, you don't feel guilty. If you think that uh, you were the, the necessary ingredient for someone else's salvation, you're not trusting the right one for salvation. Jesus is the one. And at the end of the day, when someone is in ultimate need and nowhere to turn, and when they turn toward Him, He is the one who will meet their needs. Leave room for the Holy Spirit to work in their lives. Don't crowd Him out. Leave room for Him. Sometimes we have to get quiet so they can hear His voice. Sometimes they're not going to start talking to Him until they can't talk to you. Sometimes we have to stop helping so the Helper can do His wondrous work. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God, we ask this morning that You give us a heart that is moved with compassion. Help us to see people who are in need and to use the resources You have given us to meet those needs. And at the end of the day, O oh Lord, help us to entrust them to You and ask that You would meet all their needs according to Your glory. In Jesus' precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen.